Welcome to the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. Uh, welcome back to the uh, Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and as always, I am joined tonight by the ever-awesome Will Sheldon. Will, how you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic, man. Good to be back. Good to be with you. How are you? I am uh, doing well. Uh, it's been, I think, all these little minor uh, health annoyances have been ravaging uh, their way through our house this week. And uh, so I'm uh, slightly medicated, so I apologize in advance, or, or maybe I should charge extra. I don't know, um, but yeah. So let's, but it, but it's all good. We're uh, we're working it all out. I was up at uh, 4:45 this morning taking our youngest daughter to uh, procedure. She had to get Botox for her uh, for her uh, hand that that is has a little bit of CP in it, and so. Right. Um, <clears throat> that was fun being up so early from that. They, they had to put her under and everything, I guess, because, you know, it's like 30 shots in an arm for an eight-year-old. Oh, yeah. That's a lot. I, well, for a 30, almost 38-year-old, I would go under for that, too. So, <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. I was up at six, but only because my one-year-old felt like getting up at six. There was no legitimate reason for it. So, yes. They tend to do that. They, they kind of rule the house in the uh, sleep schedules uh, department. Yeah, I'm, I'm figuring that out. So, this is... Uh, it's, this is 9.08 in the p.m. when we were recording this, and I'm standing in the kitchen drinking coffee. So that's kind of, kind of how it's going. You know? <laughs> so you won't sleep at all, and, t- and then he'll wake you up again at 6 tomorrow. No, I'm just I'm immune. I feel like I'm just doing it like any good addiction. It's just for the routine of it. Like I feel like it has no effect on my life at this point. So, <laughs> All right. So, so the podcast is back. Uh, school is in session. Kickoff just a few days away. You, do you remember back in the day – I'm sure this just wasn't like an Illinois thing. I'm, I'm hoping it wasn't. But uh, the first thing you had to do when you got back to school in the fall, you had to write a paper or give a speech or something on what you did over the summer vacation. What did I do with my summer vacation, right? So, yes, we had that in the Alcoa City School Systems as well in Tennessee, yes. All right, good. So you got some reps in. Um, so before we get into football, what was the coolest thing about your summer that was not related to, to football? Uh, so my, my wife is a, uh, cake decorator slash dessert chef, uh, more of a, she was a dessert chef more in Tennessee, more of a cake decorator in Virginia and like her her business is, yeah, listen, she, she acquired that skill after we got married actually. So they finished a degree and had some, had some, uh, some free time after finishing a degree and before we had our son. And so she took a class on a random Saturday about five years ago and she, she made a, uh, a smoky gray Tennessee cake, uh, which was exciting, uh, in 2014 and uh, less exciting in 2019. But uh, anyway, she... <laughs> Just like the uniforms themselves. Or, or they, uh, they will sell you a, a game-used helmet, a smoky gray helmet, for $1,000, literally $1,000 uh, right now. Wow. So... Uh, I don't I don't know how many of those have have left the the uh, showroom there, but uh, anyway, she uh, business is booming for her. So we are spending a lot of time at uh, I spent a lot of time this summer at uh, farmers markets here in Southwest Virginia, selling cupcakes and taking money and telling people have a nice day and all that stuff. So that was uh, that's been fun too. It was a, a new a new wrinkle in our lives and and gaining weight because you have a dessert connoisseur in the in the house or dessert well, master I've, chef. Well, I've I have managed uh, all all the working out and running I do is just to break even because of that uh, factor. <laughs> That's so the way to do it. Though. I, yeah, I joke I joke with people all the time, and so I can drink coffee with 
three servings of creamer at nine ten at night. But I uh, I joke with people that like when she's in the kitchen and I hear her go, dang it, or something more exciting. <laughs> you salivate like Pavlov's dog. That's like a, like that one can't be sold, but I will eat it. I will take that one to the team. So, she does so well, like she'll try out new flavors and stuff, and I'll meet her over at the farmer's market and be like, oh man, I really want to try one, and then she'll sell out, and I'm legitimately bummed. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, if you're in the Southwest Virginia area, come check us out on Tuesday nights. That's right, because you, you cannot eat a dollar. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's right. So I would totally get bummed out too. So what was that address again? The uh, the farmers market in where? So we're yeah we're in we're in Pulaski, Virginia, home of the uh, Pulaski Yankees 2019 Appalachian League East Division champions. Been doing a lot of baseball uh, too this summer. Uh, but yes, anyway, we're uh, I have no idea if anyone actually listens to this in Southwest Virginia, but if you do. Uh, come by and say hi uh, on first and third Tuesdays at the farmer's market at the train station. Uh, that's, that's what I've been doing all summer. What have you been doing all summer? Uh, okay. So the, the two coolest things I did, well, my, my wife and I had our 25th anniversary, which was cool. Um, and so it, well, that was back in May and it, it took me until August to actually get a, get something scheduled. We went to uh, Defusky Island. Have you ever heard of Defusky? I have not. That sounds made up. It does sound made up and it, it you know, it, it, it's almost like it should be because it's this uh, island that is just south of Hilton Head and you cannot get there by car. You have to take a ferry and you drive around on golf carts and there's like almost nobody there, especially this time of year. There's 400 people that live there and then, you know, anyway, they got two restaurants. Their uh, convenience store is like half of a Weigel's, you know, and most of it's t-shirts. And hats, Michaels. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, we went there. That was really cool. Um, also, uh, the guys that I used to play in the band with way back in uh, junior high and high school and a couple years out of high school, we hadn't played together in like 30 years, and we all got together in Nashville for a little jam session, and we learned some of the old songs. We had a draft for the songs we were going to learn, relearn, <laughs> and then we got together and sounded bad for a couple of days, and uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> A couple of so, days. That's serious business right there. That's yeah. not just, we're going to play a few and thank you everybody. Good night. That's a, uh, is, does this, does this exist online somewhere? Uh, there was a Facebook post where somebody recorded a little bit of us practicing. So we didn't actually play in front of anybody. I mean, we, we knew better than that. We, we'd been asked <laughs> to play like at homecoming for the 30, 31st anniversary or, uh, reunion, you know? But I was yeah. like, you know what? Let's let's get together and see how we sound <laughs> before we play in front of people. And it was a good thing. Two of the guys have actually been playing for a while uh, in other bands and stuff, but two of us were really rusty. And it did start coming back, but there were some songs that we thought we could play that uh, that we turned out to be wrong about. <laughs> right. So. All right, so let's let's tie this uh, summer thing into football. What, what was the uh, what was the best thing you heard about the football team this summer in fall camp? You know, I think that this is the quietest. We were talking about this before we went on the air. We've been doing this. I've been doing this since two thousand six. Joel, you're two thousand five. I yep. think right. Yeah. I came. I started uh, at Rocky Top Talk right after Lane Kiffin got hired, uh, which I always say is like it's a great career starting point there on the on the big time blogs. Is right when it went bad for your whole football team. But yeah, we're to blame for uh, everything. Yeah, that's fine. I can take it. Uh, but I, uh, I I think this is by far like the quietest 
off season that we've had. Some of that is basketball. Uh, the basketball conversation lasted so much longer because success of team plus Rick Barnes flirtation with UCLA plus incredible recruiting. Like it's just, it's just more fun to talk about basketball than football right now. Um, so, I, and I think it's, that's okay that it's quiet uh, about football at the moment. I think Fulmer's presence, at least to me and probably of people of my late thirties generation, uh, there's just so much more trust there with the big picture uh, with him in charge that there's there's less of a need to be anxious going into Pruitt's year two than I feel like there was with Dooley and with Butch Jones. I mean, at this point with Butch Jones, we were so sold on the recruiting that it, it really uh, it didn't seem fathomable that you could recruit the way he was recruiting and actually get all those guys to actually sign here in February and then have it turn out uh, the way that it did in terms of just not developing that talent. And so uh, I think this, the biggest takeaway with the football team this offseason is that there really wasn't a big takeaway. Uh, that'll all change here in three days, of course. But um, I just think it's been quiet, and that's not that's just not altogether bad at this point. That's one of my biggest offseason things, too, is the bar, the bar is both low and also – more realistic than it's been at any point that I've been doing this in 14 or 15 years. So like seven and five or eight and four is going to go a long way with people if that's what they end up doing. So uh, I think it's, it's, that's just kind of, it's kind of a cheating answer, but my biggest takeaway is that I, I really don't have one. And I think that's, I think it's all right. I think it's, it's a good healthy ish reflection, both of where basketball has been uh, for, for a lot of these summer months um, but just also kind of where the football team is now. You know, the other thing we've learned over 14 or 15 years of doing this is that even though you go into the season thinking that 7-5 to five is okay, when you actually have to experience it, it's really not okay. And everybody gets mad anyway. Well, you know? there's there's a particular, like, if, you, if you're trying to figure out how they get to 7-5, and five, the easiest path is they beat Kentucky, they beat Vanderbilt, uh, they beat BYU – and you get South Carolina in Knoxville, that means you're going to lose four in a row in the middle. It means you're going yeah. to lose Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama. And, yeah, I agree. No matter what we told ourselves about seven and five being okay, if you lose four in a row, uh, that ain't – with a bye week too, so five weeks without a win, uh, that's mm -hmm. not going to be pleasant for anybody uh, in the middle of that stretch. Yeah. So for me, um, one of the things that I'm most excited about and most excited to see the results of is – this idea and i think it's documented and and verifiable that the team is a lot bigger and heavier and uh you know presumably stronger because of all of that um i think it's uh, i think it's really important and uh, i think i'm hoping that it really can matter a lot you know it's kind of cool to hear pruitt say uh sometime during fall camp that you know part of the problem with the o-line last year wasn't it wasn't as much talent as it was asking them to play before they were, before their bodies were ready, you know, yeah. and presumably now they're more ready. Um, not just the new guys. We didn't just recruit new, bigger guys, but the guys who were there got bigger themselves. You know, Tatum, I think he's doubled his size in two years, right? <laughs> that guy. So if he's holding off Darnell right over there, right, uh, right tackle, you know, he's, 
he's doing something right. And maybe it's, you know, largely due to the fact that he's bigger, heavier, and able to do uh, what he's being asked to do. So I'm looking forward to seeing whether that makes a big difference. Hope it does. Yeah, and there's an interesting um... – the guys you recruit at the top of your list are always the guys you expect to come in and, and perform right away. It doesn't always work that way. I think uh, Malik Gray was was Tennessee's highest rated signee in one of those late Butch Jones years, and you know he just left the program and never did anything here. So it doesn't always work. But Tennessee's two highest rated signees were were Wright and Morris, your offensive tackles. So it's natural to expect those guys are going to come in and be great right away. But man, offensive tackle is like the last place where you can really expect a freshman to come in and, and really be strong. Sometimes you just you do what you got to do. Uh, I also think Trey Smith is not doing anybody any favors here because you've got this memory of, well, he came in and was great as a freshman. Yeah. But, man, you, it's not fair to expect these guys to be Trey Smith in 2017. So uh, that's just a weird spot. And the good news about that is there's other freshmen – uh, Eric Gray, uh, Henry Toto Toto. I'm glad I got to be the first one on the podcast to do that shot. <laughs> well done. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I, uh, there's, so there's other guys you can be excited about if you don't get to see those guys. But um, I, I think that seems to be the big storyline of the last 10 days or two weeks is are they really going to rotate eight to 10 guys on the offensive line? Is that really what's best for business? Uh, I, I think that's you know just because just because Marcus Tatum is the starting right tackle against Georgia State or even BYU and and beyond doesn't mean that your two highest rated recruits were a bust it just means man it's awfully hard to play true freshman at those positions when you're getting ready to stare down that barrel of Florida Georgia Mississippi State Alabama South Carolina that's just yeah. that's a big ask so they're going to get opportunities but I, I don't I'm not convinced that it's like the worst thing in the world if they don't just come in here and, and start right away and play all these snaps. If Tennessee has better options, yeah, that's a good thing because, man, you're, if, if a freshman is your best option at tackle, then uh, that's problematic. Yeah, and, and if there's nothing behind them. But it sounds like we're not just too deep, but maybe even a little bit more than that along the line, which is, which is nice, especially with some of the attrition that we've had there too. So. I mean, that goes back to there. You're not just talking about Butch. You're talking about Dooley recruiting yeah. a whole class of those guys without any – uh, any lineman and so yeah that's that's a long-term problem that Tennessee is just now you know really next year I think is when we'll be able to say okay now we don't have to worry about this as much as we have for the last six or seven years yeah so I, I'm kind of allergic to hyperbole but the more I hear the more I'm reminded of Dooley's no offensive line class that's just malpractice that's just terrible <laughs> You hate that word too. I have used that word before or use it in a post and you've been like, eh, I don't like that word. Like as, as a lawyer, you know, like you, you have yeah. the right to say that. And so that's, that's uh, Joel's use of malpractice should be taken very seriously. That is, that is very strong for me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you know, some of that is you look back on that now and uh, <laughs> I just wonder how, how much those guys had riding on, uh, you know, if, if they'd done well in 2012, if they hired a different defensive coordinator or, or promoted Lance Thompson or whatever, and they won, you know, eight or nine in 2012, which probably would have felt like a big deal, uh, could have dodged Butch Jones, but I'm still not sure it would have been what was best for Tennessee uh, in the moment going forward to have another year of Derek Dooley. So uh, you just, 
the longer we do this and the more Tennessee loses uh, along the way, uh, you know, you just kind of, uh, I, I am, I spent a long time saying we don't have enough information about Derek Dooley and, uh, and, and that has affected the way I, uh, I, I look at folks going forward in terms of, uh, you know, trying to be a little more objective and, and things like that. But yeah. yeah, that's, that set Tennessee up for failure in ways where, you know, Butch's first year, they still had all those Tyler Bray offensive linemen. But yeah. after that, man, I mean, and, and this is to, to tie this into this year, this is a really big question for me about this year's team and, and Jim Chaney too. Justin Worley got destroyed in a half a season twice because they were playing him behind an offensive line that wasn't ready, that was having to go against, you know, Coleman Thomas against Oklahoma in 2014. Like there were lots of just bad situations out there. And they put him, especially in 2014 with those younger guys, they were trying to win games. And so they were taking a lot of shots downfield and putting Worley in a lot of positions where he was going to get hit a lot. And I'm curious to see with this particular offensive line, how much are they going to do that with Garantano, who got knocked out of a bunch of games behind a bad offensive line last year? Um, some of this, I still wonder, is, is this why Tennessee ran fewer plays in the country than any team last year? Because they're just trying to, to do risk management or, or survive or whatever the case may be. But I'll be curious to see how many times, if they really feel like they've got the receivers and they've got the, the potential to take some shots downfield – is there a part of them that says, oh, man, that's another shot Garantano is going to take? And, and how, how willing will they be to put him in harm's way, especially against the teeth of that schedule there in October? So I was going to, you know, I already praised you for uh, saying Toto's name. Uh, the next test was going to be saying the quarterback's name, but you've already failed twice. Yeah, Garantano. Yeah, that's my bad. It's my bad. <laughs> of course. We've we've had lots of failure there uh, over the years, so we we all have, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder why he didn't correct anybody. He's just you know, you know, is that the lack of leadership that he's finally growing into is is you know fifth year or fourth? That would be a good if I hadn't written that uh, written that idiot optimist piece yet. I feel like he's finally worked up the nerve to tell us his name, his real name. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be worth two ends. <laughs> the joke today about being called Guantanamo. That was yeah. a that was an idiot optimist joke from two years ago. The beaches of Dormandy and yes. Guantanamo, <laughs> I Guantanamo Bay or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, we're all we're. I'll plead the. I mean, I won't plead the fifth. I'll just I'll just say, hey man, we're all guilty of that one, and I'm very sorry that we uh, did not have the correct knowledge on the correct pronunciation of your name. Right. Don't ask us old dogs to uh, to do those new tricks right now. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, big picture, uh, meaning like just from a wins and losses standpoint right now, we'll get into the details in a minute. But what, what are you what are you hoping to see this fall? What, what are the most important games? Well, BYU, I mean, that just feels like a game that you have to win. And uh, we've seen this a couple of times and seen it go a couple of different ways. That Kiffin first year, uh, you know, UCLA, that was a game, well, Tennessee's got to win that game, and they didn't, and they and they lost it in particularly frustrating fashion. But still, they got things turned around in October. They got a big, meaningful win, and by the end of that year, nobody was still really chirping on that UCLA loss. So I'm not saying if they lose to BYU, then everything's out the window, but that's that's just a big one to get. We'll see, too. I mean, we're going to see those guys late tomorrow night. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to see those guys early Friday morning. Like, it, you know, just 
how, and I know we're going to talk about the Gators here in a minute, but like that, that's going to make a big difference. We haven't really had a year like this. Tennessee hasn't played a cupcake in week one since Butch Jones' first year because we ran into that stretch of uh, uh, Utah State with Chucky Keaton and then Bowling Green and then Appalachian State and then Georgia Tech and West Virginia. So it's, it's been a minute since we really don't have to be overly concerned with Tennessee in week one. And you're getting two shots before we take a snap. You got a you got a colorful opinion of about the Gators now, and you're going to get a good one with BYU here uh, on uh, on tomorrow night against Utah. So that could change if, if BYU wins that game. Uh, I think that may change folks' opinion about the winnable nature or the percentage in our expected win total machine that you're putting on BYU. But I think getting that one allows you to survive whatever happens against Florida and whatever happens against Georgia. Um, and I, I say whatever happens. I think it allows you to just kind of roll with the punches of a competitive loss to Florida and whatever happens uh, with, with Georgia. Florida is the biggest opportunity on the, on the schedule. Uh, you know, if you, you get that game, that's going to mean a whole lot to a whole lot of people. But in terms of just what's important for progress – BYU at the start, Vanderbilt at the end, uh, especially if we're in this business of if six and six is a realistic outcome, then you could come to Vanderbilt at five and six. Uh, and you just, no matter what happens the rest of the year, you, you would lose some sense of opportunity by losing to those guys. It would knock you down the a peg in, in bowl standings. It would be four years in a row, which seems incomprehensible, but, but would be true. Um, so those two, to me, if, if you get those two games, then we're assuming, you know, that Tennessee just needs to pick up one more, so Kentucky, South Carolina, somebody in there to get to, to six, pick up two more of those, you're at seven. So that, that to me, Florida is always going to be your biggest opportunity available, it, uh, since I don't think we're ready to count Alabama in that conversation yet. But um, BYU and Vanderbilt at the beginning and the end, you get those. I, I think you're going to come out of this thing with at least an okay sense of how the season went if you get both of those games. All right. So that was all very compelling. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I just – I don't really care about BYU, really. I don't know why. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> Tell me why. Go ahead. You know, it's a non-conference game. And, and I think our, our – uh, um, we we have to figure out how to compete in the SEC, you know, and that's a long road because we're a long ways away from winning the SEC championship. We're a long ways even from winning the SEC East, and we're actually a longer ways away from, um, <clears throat> you know, even getting lined up with Florida and Georgia to compete for the East. I mean, we're so far down that we got to worry about just not losing to Vanderbilt anymore, you know. And so I, I just, I just don't think I'm just more focused on the SEC. And uh, I also think that we're probably gonna win for some reason. So I'm just not worried about it, and I don't really care. So it's it's probably a bad combination. So don't tell the team that. <laughs> we don't I, want. The... I, I'm, I'm looking at it more from the sense of. Getting one early that you really were allowed to feel good about for yeah. more than a minute. Yeah. That, uh, and I think the way things have gone, I think they can survive a competitive loss with Florida and still go into the bye week at three and one, excited about 
not the the future, but excited about what the rest of this team could do because we just haven't had all the good that they did with Cincinnati, who is a, probably a comparable opponent. I'd have to go back and research that more. But that Cincinnati team, the Butch Jones Cincinnati team that they beat in, in 11, probably a comparable situation to you know a, a non-Power 5 team coming in. But everything good about that just got tossed when Justin Hunter blew up his ACL in the first yeah. drive of the Florida game. So sometimes that happens. Uh, but you know, NC State, the, the good you felt about that, another maybe comparable to BYU kind of situation. Uh, you can't give up a thousand plays of eighty plus yards against the Gators a couple of weeks later in in that year, in a year three when you're supposed to pay it off. Um, I just I just think you need a <laughs> Tennessee needs a win. Yeah. And not not Georgia State, you know, and, and to get one before this was Butch's problem before two thousand sixteen is that his big wins came in mid-October or later, um, and they were more stop-the-bleeding wins or change-the-narrative wins, it would be nice to get one in September that really counts and, and matters, um, and, and to do that before you have a, a payoff year, before you have like a, like a battle at Bristol where you're almost relieved to win the thing um, <laughs> instead of just kind of being a, all right, we're moving in the right direction sort of thing. So that's, that's just kind of... Um, if you get BYU, I think it puts you in a better frame of mind as a fan and a healthier place to try to go get South Carolina, uh, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, the games you're talking about. Yeah, I agree with all of that. The the uh, the lingering impact, positive or negative, will be important just from the uh, um, from the final result. Um, it just doesn't feel like something that we can't recover from. I wouldn't think. And, and to me, the, 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 my whole analysis of the season going in is just sort of, okay, let's win the non-conference. And I know, you know, if, if we don't get BYU, then that's, you know, an assumption that you've already made that you're wrong on, and that's going to feel bad. So I understand that. But uh, I'm just sort of assuming those four and then, <clears throat> um, you know, assuming three losses, Alabama, Georgia, probably Florida. And so I think the whole season comes down to those other SEC East teams. And I'm, I'm ignoring uh, Mississippi State for now, too. But I think it comes down to the other SEC East teams because you, you got to to get out of the cellar. You have to uh, get out of the second tier of the SEC East. And I yeah. think that's the first order of business. And so you got you to gotta not lose to Vanderbilt. That's nonsense. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> And then, and then you got to get two of the other three: South Carolina, which we haven't beaten for much too long, too, and then Kentucky and uh, Missouri. Get get two of those three, and uh, I think that'll be a success there. So that's sort of how I'm running it down. Hope it hope it works out that way. It's in, I mean, you did a good job in our magazine pointing this out. The, the scheduling really works to Tennessee's favor against Missouri yeah. and really works against Tennessee uh, when it comes to Kentucky, which there is a whole – and I subscribe to this too. I even do it in that win expectancy uh, thing of I just assume we're going to beat Kentucky because yeah. if Kentucky couldn't beat Tennessee – I mean, couldn't compete with Tennessee last year, then I, you know, I, don't, I don't foresee it happening – up there this year when they're kind of in a rebuild reload i know some of their fans want to call it reloading and we'll see about that but i just i just i'm more confident about tennessee beating kentucky at kentucky than i am tennessee beating south carolina in knoxville or vanderbilt in knoxville for that matter just because of 
that's that sense from a Tennessee perspective. I know they beat us two years ago, but because of everything that was happening with Butch Jones, you just kind of forget about that one. So, um, you know, that's, uh, but it's, it's a good spot on the schedule, uh, to, to catch Tennessee there. But uh, see, I think a lot of this conversation, when we talk about record and which games you're going to win and which games you're going to lose, um, if, if Tennessee finds a way somehow to sneak around and beat the Gators or to beat Georgia. I know Georgia's off the bye week too, but let's, I, I just don't think that's a 0%. It's, that's not at Alabama. Ge- Georgia. Yeah, Georgia to us is like Florida against us. No matter how yeah. uh, different the teams are in, uh, in talent, Tennessee always has a chance to get them, against them. Yeah, or, or yeah. They, they tend to blow it against us. I guess I'll put it yeah, that way. Yeah, I, I think all of that is is true, uh, and and I don't think anyone would argue with that that's listening to this podcast. And so, um, if you if Tennessee finds a way to get one of those, it just prevents that thing of where you go seven and five, but you feel like at the end of the year that you didn't beat anybody. Because we again, this is a lot of the Butch Jones narrative. You, you need to make memories and then you need to make them last. Yep. And can Tennessee, can Tennessee go seven and five and beat BYU, South Carolina, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and the other three non-conference teams and, and be seven and five and say, okay, that was, that was a tip of the cap to that year. Sure. But you're, you know, what are we going to be talking? What are we going to remember out of that group at the end? Maybe it's the bowl game. I don't know. So you just, um, I think this staff understands that all these guys have been around big, big, big time college football long enough to know like some games just matter more than others. And uh, so that, you know, that to me really is, is a piece of that puzzle too of yes, Tennessee needs to win all of those games that you're talking about. Yes. That is the next step you have to take if you're trying to make progress in the sec East, but man, it would be really nice to get, to get, the Gators or Hey, Mississippi state has an outside chance of rolling in here undefeated. If they can beat Auburn, especially the week before they come to Knoxville, there's an outside chance. You're playing Mississippi state as a top 15 team. So that one also could be a potential, uh, bulletin board, you know, sort of, sort of win. and Missouri, certainly I don't want to rule that out. Missouri has an outside chance of being whatever that is, 8-0, 9-0, and before they hit that stretch of Georgia, Florida, and, and Tennessee. And if they split those two, they would still be ranked very high before they played, uh, played the Vols. So it doesn't have to be get the Gators or get Georgia. New opportunities arise all the time. None of us thought beating Kentucky would be such a big deal last year until it was. Yeah. Uh, so you just got to – they just need to find – uh, seven and five would be a tip of the cap and a job well done, like I say. But oh, it would be so much better if it included at least one in there where we could go back and relive it at the end of the year and, and remember it fondly, and not remember like last season where you had two really memorable wins. But the moral of the story is you still went five and seven. Yeah, and, and not just five and seven, but those last two games, man, those were just catastrophes. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, apart from the big picture, um, let's talk about some details. You did this thing over the summer, which I loved so much that I basically plagiarized it um, a couple (laughs) of weeks ago. Um, So not just looking at at like wins and losses and which teams we're going to beat and all that stuff. Um, The things I've been calling lead measures, these are things that lead to winning. Um, before you get there, um, I tied them together 
uh, as, let's see, I, I put uh, more third and short conversions. Um, we got to do that. Uh, more yards per carry, regardless of down. We got to get more takeaways. We got to get more sacks. We got to get better in, in the red zone on, on defense. And then we got to keep Garantano out of the medical tent. <laughs> so tell, tell us more about those things. That you, you spent a lot of time on them over, over the summer, but uh, let, let's talk about some of those. What, what do you think are, are the most important ones, and, and what are you going to be looking at early on? So the thing Tennessee was very worse at last year was running on third and short. That's third and one through three. They averaged – it was something like 21 carries for 20 yards. Uh, you, know, you remember you watch these games where early in the season, especially if it's third and one, it's Pruitt. You know, he's going to say, let's just get a yard. And Tennessee just could not do that. So Tennessee was the only team in the country to average less than a, than a yard and a half per carry on third and short, and they averaged less than a yard, period. So uh, that's not very good, good, right? No, that's very bad. Very, <laughs> very bad. And, and there will be a point uh, not, I mean, look, if Tennessee can't line up and get a yard against Georgia state, then we don't even need to have this conversation anymore, but we'd be curious to see against BYU against the Gators who clearly have some dudes on the defensive line. Yeah. Um, if it's third and one, how many times is Tennessee going to run it into the interior and get stuffed before they decide, all right, let's do something else. Uh, let let me stop you there just for a second, um, just because this popped into my mind. You know, Pruitt, it took him a long time to learn that last year, right? Yeah. yeah. Does Chaney have to relearn that? Are we going to have to wait for him to learn it now? That's a good question. I don't think Chaney would be afraid of uh, first-time offensive coordinator. It's going to be in their nature a little bit to to first-time offensive coordinator, first-time play caller like Helton was last year in that kind of situation. Uh, the old shotgun on third and one is yeah. so easy. You're such an easy target when you do that and you don't make it that uh, I think it's easier for someone like Cheney, who's so well-established to – I mean, again, like we all hate shotgun on third and one. But that was a better option for Tennessee last year yep. than, than lining it up and, and just going. So I, I would trust Cheney in that situation. I, maybe you got to figure it out one game, but you know, I, hopefully these guys can. These guys are paying for the fancy advanced version of the stats package that I'm just getting free <laughs> and compiling all this stuff. So hopefully they they know all that. But uh, that's that's the big thing. The good news about that is if you're in. If you're in third and one, you did an all right job on first and second down. You know, you're on schedule, as they say. So Tennessee was okay um, if they didn't go backward on, on first down, if they, if they did something that didn't, wasn't a sack or a blow up behind the line, and there were fewer of those last year than there were the year before, then they did okay. Uh, it's just they couldn't, they couldn't do what really should be the easiest piece of that. I mean, and this is all in the, in the piece I wrote, but statistically it was better it was better for tennessee to be in third and medium and pass than to be in third and short and and run uh so that's got to change uh or or you just run less on on third and short so that's the area for for most possible improvement uh the most interesting one to me is the business about running fewer plays than anybody in the country uh i just don't know uh i i got some guesses in terms of trying to protect Pruitt, trying to protect a defense that really wasn't good, really wasn't good all year. They were good at creating turnovers against Auburn, and they were they were good enough uh, to be sure against Kentucky. 
Um, but Tennessee just got behind so quickly in so many of those other games. I think we really undersold how bad the defense was at times last year. And so one way you protect that is you just shorten the whole thing. And so um, I will be curious to see. I don't expect Tennessee to run fewer plays than any team in the country this year. But how much faster are they going? How many more plays are, are they are they taking? So that one to me is the most interesting in terms of if you're still trying to keep Garantano alive and upright, that's that's part of that equation. If your defense is behind your offense because you've lost uh, significant contributors on your defense, your defensive line is you have no idea what's going on up there right now. Um, if you need to win games, if it's, if it's easier for you to win games by scoring a lot of points this year and your head coach is one of the best defensive coordinators of this decade, how's that going to work? You know, is, is Pruitt going to be willing to say, all right, screw it. Let's win this thing 45-44. Uh, and that's not what he desires, but it, it may be what Tennessee's best opportunity to win looks like. So uh, those two, to me, are, are the most interesting. There are some others. Uh, just, just generally, you got to create more turnovers. Uh, I, I think it's 15 in each of the last two years. Uh, that's, that's not doing you any favors. Um, and just more explosive plays in the running game. Tennessee just didn't have a lot of that last year. It's there in the passing game. Uh, but wasn't there in the run game at all. So some of those pieces work together in terms of being more explosive means you run fewer plays, but your your, your plays are more successful. Um, if Tennessee can be good enough to get in a lot of third and short again, just being a little bit better, little little improvements, and this is kind of the theme of our magazine, little improvements here and there. Um, Tennessee was really good on special teams last year. It doesn't matter when you're getting beat up by 26 points by everybody. But some of those pieces of the puzzle are already in place. So, um, you know, just little improvements in a couple of those areas could end up making a, a big difference for this team this year. So this, this is one of the many reasons I love you, because that was like the most diplomatic way of saying you left out the most important thing that I wrote in, in my plagiarized version of, <laughs> of your <laughs> earlier one about the number of plays. I wasn't quite sure how to, how to you know, I mean, are, are you are you going to be watching to see how fast they run or, or how, how many plays they run each game and and all that stuff? Or, or is that is that something you're really going to measure or just something you're, you're sort of interested to see as a philosophic kind of change? I think I think it's more philosophy than anything. I think that those guys were so aggressive against the Gators last year and none of it worked, yeah. you know, like yeah. like so hyper aggressive and I, I think hyper aggressive in measurable ways not just because we've been watching butch jones for five years and weren't used to that stuff it i mean everything was go for the throat i think again these guys understand that some wins are worth more than others and it, it just you know in in unusual and surprising ways backfired on them and then they're you know the team didn't respond well when it backfired on them it, it just the hole got much deeper much quicker so uh, I wondered about that uh, from from there going forward, but also there's still there's just such a big jump from the Gators to Georgia and Alabama that you know against Georgia last year their planet mostly down the middle had one there was one big splash play right to, they threw it to Ty Chandler I think if I'm remembering this game right uh, and. Uh, this is my son's first birthday party that day last year, so I don't have all the. Uh, I got other memories going on there, but uh, uh, probably better ones. Yeah, but you know, going into the fourth quarter, there they're down 
what, 24 to 12. Uh, so, you know, I, there was some merit to let's play a certain kind of game and, and keep it close. Kentucky, uh, that, that game plan really worked. They should have beat Kentucky by more if they don't fumble uh, in the second half. So uh, I, I'll just be curious to see. I, I think Cheney can do it any way you want it. I don't think he has to do up-tempo and let's try to score a touchdown on every play. And he hasn't been that guy in his first year at, at places. Uh, he's, he's been much more, uh, you know, we're, we're building something here and that kind of stuff. Now, uh, I'm not sure any of the first places he's been in the first year had the kind of talent coming back at quarterback and wide receiver that Tennessee has now. So if they can block it, I think you can do lots and lots of things. And again, we may look, we may come to this thing the week after the Florida game and say eh, they can't block it. Like it's just what it is. They, they still can't block. We can talk for hours and hours all we want, but if you can't block it, you can't do it. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just interested philosophically in how are they, uh, are they going slow on purpose to protect a defense again that may not have it all put together um, are they uh, are they going slow on purpose to limit the number of times that their quarterback is going to get hit when they don't have anybody behind them? And uh, really, we didn't get to see this a whole lot last year. We saw it against Kentucky, and we saw it for a second against South Carolina. What do they do when they get up ten points on somebody? Um, what what sort of urgency or or put the foot down on people? do they do they really put the foot down on Kentucky with a, a blocked field goal and turnovers in the red zone it wasn't really the offense that did it it was a Hail Mary at the end of the first half and then just kind of you know keeping it together as much as you could um, with Auburn they, they they went into conservative mode against Auburn at the right time like all that worked out well and fine um, but there's just some stuff that these players just don't know these guys don't know a whole lot about playing with a lead on a good team um, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't, that's a long and rambling answer to say, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I think it's, it's really fascinating that Tennessee ran fewer plays in the country, uh, than, than any other team. Um, but I, I, I don't know how much that's going to change this year. And I, I'm really interested to find out. So speaking of, uh, if you can't block it, you can't, you can't run it. Uh, we got a glimpse of Florida against Miami to kick off the season last Saturday. Uh, defense looked good, but it, it was sloppy, and the line, as I said, looked vulnerable. I mean, for both teams, maybe I'm getting getting them both confused, but I think they both look bad on the offensive line. And uh, Felipe Franks is becoming one of my least favorite uh, rivals <laughs> ever <laughs> quickly, but, but he looked uh, rattleable, you know. Um, so what do you think? Was it was that just first game rust um, that you're probably noticing more because they were playing a good opponent on the first game or are maybe they not quite as good as advertised? The best comment on that game, and I can't remember if somebody on Twitter had the, it looks like this game is being played in a monsoon and there's not a drop of rain out there. Like that was my favorite, <laughs> my favorite comment about that game. Uh, the good news about the Gators is you're going to get another live fire. I don't know who they got. Uh, they're off this week. I don't know who they got next week. But then they got Kentucky. So we'll at least we'll get another data point on them uh, before before we see them. Do they have the, three buys because of that? I should look at that. Uh, I think they they should right because they're playing a week early and then they've got the same. Uh, they've got they have a week one buy 
you know, nobody else has the week one by yeah. other than, uh, than them in Miami and I'm sure Arizona, but, uh, uh, yeah. So I'm sure there's, there's other buys built in there. Probably one before Georgia. Yeah. Cause that's actually how it works for them. Um, but I, I feel like in talking with other Tennessee fans in, in talking, it's, it's fun being in Southwest Virginia cause you get, you know, objective opinion on, uh, games like that, that everybody's watching, but these folks don't care if the Gators win or lose. And the objective opinion was just what a, a ridiculous, like perfect week zero game it was. But I feel like among Tennessee fans, and I can be talking to this too, there's this school of thought after being so aggressive against them last year of like, maybe we should just wait for them to do something dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like they seem, they seem eager to be dumb on offense. <laughs> Uh, and, well, and defensively maybe, too, on the cornerbacks at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But I mean, like maybe, maybe, maybe we just sit back and are like, "All right, like here you go. If you're gonna score on us, it's gonna be a 12 play drive, and we think you're gonna do something dumb on plays one through 11." So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, it'll be interesting to see. That's the old, the again, we're old guys doing this. The, the team that runs for the most yardage wins this game. Tennessee. Uh, with with the one exception of of Dobbs and all those guys there uh, in that really weird 2016 game, every time Tennessee tries to outgun Florida, they lose in this rivalry. So uh, I, I appreciated the aggressiveness, even though it failed spectacularly last year. I appreciated the, that that mentality, uh, but that's why we just need we need to see him against Kentucky because I feel like that's kind of what you talk yourself into now is. Well, Franks is going to throw a, two stupid interceptions against us. He might, uh, but he he might not. So uh, one of the things I find uh, really interesting about that Florida game is that you know the commentators were saying there's uh you know it's it's sloppiness because there there is no preseason in the college game, and so you know people that have been, that have been thudding um, don't know how to tackle yet. And they got a right. lot of rust and stuff to knock off. And I just think you're more likely to see that against a good team than you are maybe against, say, a cupcake. All right, so we gotta we got to wrap this up. Uh, but uh, is there anything you want to say about uh, Georgia State before we, uh, before we conclude? Sorry, Georgia State fans. <laughs> uh no, <laughs> I mean, I'm, even, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm still more interested in big picture conversation about Tennessee than what's going to happen against Georgia State this week. So, yeah, even the uh, even the interesting things of which, like, is Eric Gray going to be the first substitute for Ty Chandler? That's interesting a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other stuff, if you're if it's much more interesting beyond that, uh, and a couple of other. Because even questions like how many offensive linemen do they rotate, I, some of that we're just going to say, well, is because we were playing Georgia State, or is that really how it's going to be? So uh, there's there's very little of that, and more just about again, let's enjoy a, our first Week One cupcake since 2013, and let's take a look at some of these other teams, and let's keep everybody healthy, and uh, and as long as Tennessee looks, you know, they're favored by three or four touchdowns, as long as they do that, then I think we're just kind of still in a holding pattern and we'll see what BYU does on Thursday. So you think we cover my machine is saying no. Uh, I think it's, I think it's about rights. It's trending down. It's trending. uh, It was 25 uh, and a half. Maybe is the last time I saw it. So uh, again, uh, one, one question that is interesting in the big, big picture, how fast do they put the backup quarterbacks in there? Uh, yeah. At what point are you comfortable with that lead? So I think that that could 
if Tennessee's up 21 late in the third quarter and they go ahead and put the backups in, uh, then, you know, the fact that they don't cover, if, if they don't cover from that point, I think that's not really fair. But I, I think it's about right. I think it's, you know, 20, 27, 28, four possessions. I think that's, I think that's fine. Well, that would be just fine with me. So you have my approval to uh, set that line right there. Yeah. So. I think what I picked in the picks contest was something more like 35 because it's week one and I'm feeling good. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, we haven't earned the right to complain about – this isn't Butch Jones year four. We haven't, we haven't earned the right to complain about beating a Georgia State by only 25 or whatever. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh our back from summer edition of the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. Live from Defusky with no internet. Actually, <laughs> that's not where I'm at. I'm back. I'm back from Defusky. I made it home on the ferry. So um, we will be back. Uh, we're planning on um, a recap um, that we post maybe Tuesday morning podcast and then maybe a preview that we'll probably post uh, Thursday morning. But uh, we'll be playing a little bit by ear because we got youngins running the household and waking us nice. up at 6 o'clock and making us drink caffeine with cream at 9.30 on the kitchen counter. So uh, all subject to change. But as always, uh, thanks for listening to the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. We will see you next time whenever it is. And uh, for Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth. And thanks for listening. Of course, man. Just didn't want to hear my thing about about Florida. It's just trigger language about announcers and all that good stuff. If you mind if I turn it off though and uh, try calling you back on Google Talk just in case. No, it's a backup. It's it's fine.